welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to bring you Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. Now, without further ado, let's start the show. Monday Night Raw. Raw will open up with the Bloodline coming out to the ring. That is Sami Zayn, Solo Zakoa, and the Usos. Again, no Roman Reigns or Paul Heyman will be on this show. The Bloodline will be out here talking about how their tag team match is canceled against Riddle and Elias because when the Bloodline were making their way down to the ring, the production truck will show video of earlier in the evening of Elias getting off his tour bus as the Bloodline were making their way into the arena and the Bloodline would attack Elias to the point that he basically would be medically disqualified to participate in his title match tonight. However, the Usos would still throw out a challenge for anyone to come out and fight them. Matt Riddle will come out and tell the Bloodline that it was not cool what they did to Elias. And Sammy would tell Riddle that him coming out here and thinking that he had any chances of becoming champions tonight isn't very oozy. Riddle would say that he did, however, find a partner to take Elias' place, and it's Kevin Owens. So, the first match of Monday Night Raw will be for the Undisputed Tag Team Championships, and it'll be the Usos with Sammy and Solo in their corner, going against Matt Riddle and Kevin Owens. Now, the Usos would win the match by pinfall thanks to interference from Sami Zayn when Riddle would pay too much attention to Sami on the outside of the ring, allowing Jay to tag in Jimmy without Riddle's knowledge, and the Usos would hit the 1D for the win. Now, after the match, the Usos and Sami Zayn would stomp out Riddle until Kevin Owens comes into the ring and hits the Usos with a chair. Sami would see the chair and then leave out of the ring, and so would the Usos after taking chair shots. Kevin Owens would chase them to the back with the chair, leaving Riddle in the ring, and Solo Sokoa would come in the ring and start pounding on Riddle. Solo would lift up Riddle and then hit him with a Samoan spike. What people don't know what that is, is that was his uncle's uh, finisher, Umaga's finisher. It was basically um, him, Solo, having his thumb taped up and just jamming it right in Riddle's throat. So, once he does this, Riddle would be on the mat holding his throat, Solo would then get a chair and then put it around the neck of Riddle and place him on the bottom turnbuckle, like lean him up. So then Solo would run over and then throw his hip into the chair around Riddle's neck. And then you see Riddle writhing in pain as the medics would come down to the ring. And you would see them put Riddle on a stretcher. And I think they're going to be taking Riddle off of television for a little bit to at least let Riddle probably heal up. So... This situation was basically trying to show off how dominant the Usos and Sammy, the Bloodline, are. But more importantly, this was putting a big spotlight on Solo because after the match, he put out Riddle, a guy that's been basically putting in work in 2022. But again, this was just a way to prop up Solo Sokoa. Now that I am talking about Solo, I do want to get this before I forget about it because I wanted to say this for weeks. Solo Sokoa has been influenced by his uncle Umaga for some time now. Since he's been up to the main roster, anytime he gets hit or kicked or anything, you can see the way that he acts, the way that he walks, it's just Umaga-esque. If, if people don't remember Umaga or people were not watching wrestling at Umaga in 2006, 2007 time, I want people to go to YouTube, type in Umaga, it's U-M-A-G-A, and it was nothing but a Samoan guy with a manager, Armando Estrada, and Umaga was nothing but a big bulldozer type guy. He just banned, ran up in the ring, ran rough shot, beat up anybody that he can beat up. He was an intercontinental champion. He had a nice rivalry with John Cena in uh, the late 
2000 and I'm getting my times mixed up. I want to say 2006 or 2007. He had a reign like a thing with Cena then, but he no, it was 2006. In 2006, early 2007, because 2007 he had his match with Cena in a last man standing match, which still holds up today. And I mean, Umaga was placed up on a pedestal to the point that if you look at the Samoan dynasty, you will say it's probably Rock, uh, Yokozuna, and Roman Reigns, and then probably Umaga with that, because the way that the Samoans put up Umaga and put him as much on a pedestal, the way that the Usos talk about him, Rikishi talk about him, and Roman Reigns. So I just want people to understand how important Umaga is to that uh, Samoan dynasty. But Solo has been really acting like Umaga, just a modern-day version of Umaga without having to say that he doesn't talk or needed a manager by his side. Solo is basically just that dominant force that the bloodline need, and he's basically, again, as I said before, a modern-day version of Umaga, and I like seeing that because it basically pays homage to their uncle, somebody that uh, time on Earth, not just in wrestling, but on Earth, got cut uh, extremely short. Now, after this, we would go to the triple threat match of Bailey, Asuka, and Rhea Ripley. And before that match would happen, Bailey would come out and she would be in the ring standing there. And then she would hear Becky Lynch's voice. Becky would come out through the crowd and get in the ring with Bailey and remind her that it's been three years since they faced each other. Now, Becky hopes that Bailey wins her match tonight so it could be a one on one with her next week because. There will be two triple threat matches on Monday Night Raw. The winners of both of those triple threat matches will face each other next week, and the winner of that match next week will be declared the number one contender for the Wild Women's Championship. So when Becky tells Bailey this, Bailey tells Becky that she needs to get out of here so she can win this match, and maybe she see her next week, maybe she won't. So we get to the triple threat match here. Oh yeah, I forgot again. Uh. Becky, as Becky will leave the ring, Rhea Ripley will come out, and you will see Rhea Ripley and Becky Lynch have this intense stare down with each other, and this was hoping that we probably might get this next week, but that does not happen, because Bailey would win the match by pinfall, by hitting Asuka with the rose plant for the win. After the match, Rhea would get in the ring and start attacking Asuka, and basically hitting her with her finished riptide. So with Bailey winning this, she now advances to next week. Now, after this, we would get Seth Rollins' in-ring promo. Seth will be out here to announce that next week on Raw, he will be facing Bobby Lashley in a number one contenders match for the United States Championship. Seth would be interrupted by Bobby Lashley. Seth would then start trying to get underneath the skin of Bobby by asking him what is his obsession with Brock Lesnar. Seth would first say that Bobby's probably scared of Brock, but then he switches to the idea that Bobby is jealous of Brock Lesnar because Bobby's career isn't what he wished it was. He wished that he had a career like Brock Lesnar had. Bobby would stop Seth and tell him that this isn't about Brock. This is about the United States Championship, a championship that he should have never lost. Seth would then tell Bobby that Bobby needs to get his head right because if he doesn't, it's going to be way more easier to beat him this time than he did the last time. Bobby would then deck Seth in the mouth and now we have a brawl on our hands between both of the guys. Referees and backstage producers will come out and separate him. Seth and Bobby would at times break away from their groups that's holding them and then run off and try to go after each other. Bobby would ultimately try to hit Seth with the spear, but Seth would move out of the way and Bobby would hit a producer, leaving Seth out of the ring and Seth would just 
walk to the back as he's successfully gotten underneath the skin of Bobby Lashley. Now, after this situation, we would get a United States Championship match of Mustafa Ali going against Theory. The only reason why we have a United States Championship match here is because Theory would be backstage, he would be interviewed, and he would see Mustafa Ali standing right beside him. And Ali basically gets underneath the skin of Theory by saying that Theory has been handed everything since he's gotten in WWE. He hasn't fought for nothing, and he's basically essentially still a kid. Theory, not liking that he's still being called a kid, he says, you know what, you'll get your shot, and after I beat you, I don't ever want to hear about me being handed anything again, so Ali takes the chance, and now this is the reason why we had this match here. Theory would win the match by disqualification, when Theory would beat up on Ali as he was hanging upside down on the turnbuckle, and then a wild Dolph Ziggler would appear from nowhere and superkick Theory. Now, this would make the referee call for the bell. And then after the match, Ali would go up to Dolph and tell him that he cost the match. Dolph would tell Ali that he was getting revenge on Theory because weeks ago, Theory bounced Dolph's head off uh, the commentary table like a basketball and basically put Dolph on the shelf for a couple weeks here. So this is Dolph's uh, retribution. Ali would shove Dolph and tell him again that he got screwed by Dolph in this match. Theory would run in to the ring and shove Dolph into Ali then grab Ali, throw him shoulder first into the ring post, then grab Dolph and hit the A-Town down, and now the only man left standing is Theory, and he's holding the United States Championship here. Again, we're still trying to build up Theory's credibility here. We're trying to build up Theory as this guy that should be took as serious. He's no longer a kid. He's the present and future. I get what we're trying to get here, but again, it's still kind of early, and it's still... I'm still not jiving with the whole money to bank cash in failure, especially for the United States Championship. I'm still not jiving with it, so I still want to see how this uh, transpires in the next few weeks. Maybe it could probably win me over, but I'm still not with it. After this, we will have a six-man tag matchup of the club, which is AJ Styles, Carl Anderson, and Luke Gallows, with Medium in their corner, going against Baron Corbin and Alpha Academy. The club would get the win by pinfall when Gallows and Anderson would hit Chad Gable with the Magic Killer for the win, so that's that match. After this, we have Dominic Mysterio with Judgment Day in his corner going against Akira Tozawa. Dominic would get the win by pinfall when he would hit Akira Tozawa with the frog splash. Now, after the match, Finn Balor would tell Dominic to pick up Akira Tozawa so they could do more damage to him, but as soon as Dominic would pick him up, the Street Profits would come down to the ring and Judgment Day would leave the ring. So now it seems the Street Profits and Judgment Day are now going to have themselves a feud here. I'm cool with it because we're getting Montez Ford and Angelo Dawkins back on screen time yet again. And plus, we can get Finn Balor, Damian Priest, and Dominic to do something. And I have a feeling that we're ramping up for Edge to come back. And I see that we're going to probably like dig him into this. So Edge probably with the Street Profits going against the Judgment Day. I'm cool with that. Now, main event time. Triple threat match. Becky Lynch going against Alexa Bliss. Going against Nikki Cross. Alexa Bliss would win the match by pinfall thanks to help from damage control. When Becky would hit Nikki with the manhandle slam on the ring apron, Becky would send Nikki Cross back into the ring, and as Becky was about to get herself back in the ring, EO Sky and Dakota Kai would run in from the crowd and grab Becky. And now you see both ladies from damage control put Becky through the commentary table with the power bomb, and this would allow Alexa Bliss to hit Twisted Bliss on Nikki Cross for the win. Now, next week, it will be Alexa Bliss going against Bayley, and the winner of that match will become the number one contender for the Raw Women's Championship. 
I'm cool with this, and we all know their outcome is going to be Alexa Bliss going against uh, Bianca Belair because Bailey's more than likely going to get cost the match by Becky Lynch next week just for an eye-for-eye situation. And you know what? Alexa Bliss going against Bianca Belair for the Raw Women's Championship. I'm cool with that because Alexa hasn't had a shot at the Raw Women's Championship in some time now. And also, they've been teasing the whole Bray Wyatt, like, Bray Wyatt, like, cryptic stuff with Alexa for some time now since Bray's been back. They always, like, flash a little Bray's logo, like, on the monitor when she's backstage or something. And they did that this week, too. And also, in her match, she looked like she was going to hit Sister Abigail. I don't know if it was on Becky or Nikki. I forgot one or two, but Alexa looks like she was about to hit it. But she stopped mid, like, mid-motion. So again, this is still going to prove what's up with Alexa and Bray, hopefully, because you know what? I want them to continue that storyline because that storyline immediately got dropped after WrestleMania, what, last year? And it was a shame that it did because Bray got fired. But again, since Bray's back here, I hope they're able to continue that. But again, let me get off my nerd stuff. That was your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now off to NXT. The first match of NXT will be a triple threat match for the last spot for the men's Iron Survivor match. It is Axiom going against Andre Chase going against Von Wagner. Axiom would win the match by pinfall when Andre Chase would hit Von Wagner with a crossbody and Andre's momentum would send him rolling out of the ring. And this would allow Axiom to hit the golden ratio for the win. The golden ratio is a jumping savant kick or jumping super kick. He has that on Von Wagner, and he covers him for the win. So now Axiom is the last man to join in the Iron Survivors matchup for the men. And in that match, it is Grayson Waller, Joe Gacy, J.D. McDonough, Carmelo Hayes, and now Axiom. Now, in the main event of NXT, we would get the Grayson Waller effect with all of the men participating in the Iron Survivor matches. But I'll get to that whenever I talk about the main event. After this match, we were supposed to get a match between... Bryson Montana going against big body Javi, Javier Bernal, but that match got scrapped when Bryson got chokeslammed by Sunga as Veer just washed it aside, and you will see Indy Shear get mics, and they will give a message to the Creed brothers. They will say that they aren't going to face the Creed brothers because the Creeds are not 100%. They want the Creeds to be at their absolute best when they face them and beat them. So when they say this, you would see the Creed start coming out, and the referees and medics would stop them before they could reach the ring. So again, this match gets canceled. It does not happen at deadline. We're trying to make sure the Creeds are getting themselves better because uh, there was a segment earlier on NXT that Ivy Nile had Julius get himself checked up by the doctor, and Julius did not tell the doctor something about his ribs. Ivy had to tell the doctor that, and the doctor looked at uh, Julius' ribs, said that he was not eligible to compete, so that's the reason why the match gets scrapped. Now, after this, we get a matchup between Zion Quinn going against the returning Tony D'Angelo with stacks in his corner. Tony D'Angelo would win the match by pinfall by hitting a back suplex side slam for the win. After the match, Tony would get the mic and talk about his time away at physical therapy. Tony would mention that when he faced Wesley, Wes blew Tony's knee out, and Wes has been hanging his hat on that for all this time. Wes will come out, and he has the North American Championship. Told Tony that if Tony wants a shot at this North American Championship, he has to wait until he gets done with his business with Dijak. Tony would tell Wes that he doesn't care what type of business he has with Dijak. Tony D'Angelo does not wait. Dijak 
would appear on the screen and tell both Tony and West that they both should be worried about him because he is here in NXT decimated and that's it. Dijak would warn West though to keep his name out of his mouth because he has his way to deal with offenders. Remember what I told you. Dijak is Dijak is doing a character from Judge Dredd. As a matter of fact, he's doing a Judge Dredd character here. He's coming in here, no nonsense, kicking butt, and that's all he's here to do. So if you say something about him, he's basically going to have you on his crap list next to take out. So once we get done here from Dijak, we will see Stax push Wes. Wes would push Stax back, and then Tony would try to jump in on attacking Wes, but Wes would slide out of the ring. So again, Wes is now having to deal with two guys. You see that he wants to deal with Dijak to get him some retribution from Dijak beating up on him two weeks ago. And now with Tony D'Angelo returning back on NXT, he has to deal with Tony. So this is now going to be an interesting thing for Wes to handle. And also with the whole Tony D'Angelo and Dijak situation. Tony said he doesn't like waiting. Dijak is a guy that doesn't like people to try to mess with him. So I can see this coming into a blows between both of these two. So the North American Championship scene is already looking uh, very interesting. Now, after this, we will have a matchup between Hank Walker and Charlie Dempsey. Drew Gulak will be out here to watch the match at ringside, and Charlie Dempsey would win the match by pinfall when he will lock in a modified version of the STF on Hank, and Hank will have to tap out. Now, Gulak was out here. He was looking at, I believe he was looking at Hank, if anything else, because Hank is, is supposedly, his character was a security guard, ends up getting a contract to WWE. You get the drift here where I'm getting at here. Charlie Dempsey has a wrestling pedigree. He's the son of William Regal. They don't say uh, Regal by name, but they mention that he has a pedigree in this, that Charlie Dempsey was built and raised to do nothing but this. So this was this match was about. And you can see that Drew Gulak was out here. He's probably looking at Hank because Hank wants the respect of Charlie Dempsey here. So I can see Drew Gulak trying to train Hank, Will Hank Walker here into making him a sound technical professional wrestler at least that's what i think they, they should do if he's going to team up with charlie dempsey that's still cool too but for story purposes him trying to teach hank how to be a sound technical wrestler how to be a professional wrestler i like that idea way better now after this we would get pretty deadly coming out to the ring they're out here to give their version of a christmas story they have a christmas tree in the middle well in the corner of the ring with gifts uh santa chair you get the whole shing dig deal here they tell the Christmas story, and the main gist is that they have beaten everybody that they went against. There's nobody that's tougher than them to take the NXT titles off of them. Now, once they get done reading their story, the New Day would appear in NXT. Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods. The New Day would ask pretty deadly, who are they going to be facing at deadline for those NXT Tag Team Championships? So you know where I'm headed with this. The New Day and Pretty Deadly would get in the ring. They would brawl with each other a little bit. The New Day would get the better of the brawl. And it would be announced later in the show that at deadline, Pretty Deadly will be putting up their NXT Tag Team titles against the New Day. You know what? I'm cool with the New Day getting a shot at the NXT Tag Titles because I thought to myself on Tuesday as I was just getting home and I constantly think about professional wrestling, I thought to myself, you know what? The New Day have been everywhere. They've done things. They've become the team that basically can prop up any other team that WWE needs them to. And the, the main thing is that New Day will not lose no shine. 
People love the New Day. New Day could be put in any situation, and the New Day will always shine bright in these predicaments. And they're just basically here just trying to put up pretty deadly. Now, do I think they might win? I don't know. I have to watch Deadline, and you also might hear from my predictions who I say might win by the end of the show. But I believe it's going to be an interesting match with Pretty Deadly going against the New Day. Now, after this, we had Thea Hale with Andre Chase and Duke Hudson in her corner going against Isla Dawn. This is Isla Dawn's NXT debut. Isla Dawn would win the match by pinfall by hitting two Nightmare on Helm Streets for the win. Nightmare on Helm Streets basically a scorpion death drop, but adding more force onto the move. Now, after the match, as Isla stood in the ring, Smoke would appear from underneath the ring, and Alba Fire would appear, and she would attack Isla Dawn. Now, referees would come out to separate both of the ladies. Alba Fire would break away from the refs holding her and run towards Isla. Isla would then spray black mist towards Alba, and Alba would duck, and the referee would get hit with the mist. Isla Dawn would be able to uh, retreat out of the ring, and it would be announced that at deadline, it would be Isla Dawn facing Alba Fire. Now, after this, we have a tag team matchup of Briggs and Jensen going against Malik Blade and Idris Anafe with Odyssey Jones in their corner. Briggs and Jensen would win the match by pinfall when Von Wagner would come down to the ring and start fighting with Odyssey Jones. Idris would get distracted by that when Idris would put his focus back on Jensen. He would get hit with a spinning heel kick, and then Briggs and Jensen would hit the high-low clothesline on Idris Anafe for the win. After this, we would get a triple threat match to claim the final spot in the women's Iron Survivor match. The participants in this were Wendy Chu, Indy Hartwell, and Fallon Henley. Indy would win the match by pinfall when Wendy would hit Fallon with a splash, and then Indy would throw Wendy out of the ring. Indy would then hit Fallon with a running forearm behind the head for the win. So Indy is now a part of the women's Iron Survivor match. Now the participants in that match are... Cora Jade, Indy Hartwell, Roxanne Perez, Zoe Stark, and Kiana James. Now, for the main event of NXT is the Grayson Waller Effect segment. And in that is Grayson Waller, Axiom, Carmelo Hayes, JD McDonough, and Joe Gacy. The men's participants for the Iron Survivor. You know the drill. They start uh, mocking one another. You have the Carmelo Hayes mocking uh, Joe Gacy and J.D. McDonough for shooting their shots at the NXT Championship, not making it. Uh, Grace Waller and Axiom for never be able to make it to that top spot yet. And Carmelo says that he is deserving of this. He's been shooting the shot a thousand times in his head, and he's been making all of them, and that he's the only person in this match that should be the next one up to be facing for the NXT Championship. You have Grayson Waller said that he's the only person here that's worthy you have axiom trying to be the good guy in here you have jd mcdonough saying to everybody he has the biggest gas tank here nobody can touch him in that department you get the whole drill each guy is basically talking their talk about why they should be the guy except for axiom and we get into a brawl between all five guys jd mcdonough will be the first guy that made the strike he'll headbutt grayson waller and then it all breaks down you get all four of the guys outside of the ring and then you see Grayson Waller hit a big tope onto all four of them outside of the ring. All those guys will still continue to brawl with each other. You'll hear referees and some guys come to the out to try to separate them. Didn't happen, but that's how NXT ends in a big five-man brawl here to end NXT to build more anticipation for the men's Iron Survivor match at deadline. 
it was a nice segment. I mean, if you can see it, you can see it. But if you don't see it, you're not really missing none here, if I'm really being honest. But again, I will give you my predictions for who's going to win at deadline at the end of the show. And that is your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now off to AEW Dynamite. First thing to note is that on January the 11th, 2023, there will be a tag team match of Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter going against Soraya and a partner for choosing. This match came about when Soraya was backstage with Tony uh, Shivani and she was being interviewed. Britt Baker would interrupt and say that she has tickets for Soraya for this event. She can either be a fan or she can wrestle her in that arena. Britt would then decide to tell Soraya that it's not going to be her versus Soraya in a rematch. It's a tag match, so Soraya has to find a partner for choosing, and now has people speculating who's going to be Soraya's partner. I don't know who, but it gives us time to really speculate and really build up the hype train to see who's going to be Soraya's partner on January the 11th. Now, with that out of the way, the first match on Dynamite would be for the Dynamite Diamond Ring Battle Royal, but the conditions for this situation is the winner will get to face mjf when they decide to face mjf for the dynamite diamond ring so this battle royal is just to see who's going to face mjf when they want to the last two competitors in the battle royal would be ricky starks and ethan page ricky starks would win the match by eliminating ethan page for the win now once ricky wins his music would play but it would immediately get cut off by mjf's music and mjf We'll come down to the ring and we will get a battle of words between Ricky Starks and MGF. I'm about to play you a good two minutes and 50 seconds of just the verbiage of Ricky and MGF just basically going at it with one another. You know, Ricky, they talk about you like you're some underutilized god of professional wrestling. And trust me, you are very talented. You really are. But you want to know the truth, bud? Here's the truth, absolute. The truth is, in comparison to me, you're the absolute drizzling shits. Or should I say, you're a Rudy Poo candy ass. Considering the fact that you've stolen literally everything else from that guy. Because no offense, Richard, you ain't nothing more than a dollar store Dwayne. So you know what I'm going to start calling you, bud? I'm going to start calling you the Pebble, okay? And here's what's going to happen next week in the main event at Dynamite, little Pebble. I'm going to drive you to the nearest body of water. I'm going to take you out of my pocket, Pebble, and I am going to skip your scrawny little pigeon-toed ass all the way back to Billy Corgan's NWA so you can wrestle on YouTube where you belong. Well, Maxi Pad, I think it's pretty. I should have expected a fifth-rate Roddy Piper wannabe to come out here and try to steal the spotlight. Oh, you trashed the city. Oh, you trashed the people. Hey, how much more stick do you got? Because the low-hanging fruit is running dry, partner. Now, every single week, you come out here, you smell like paint thinner and ass. You spray tan. You spray tan your eczema. If you took your shirt off, your back would look like you laid in an ant pile for seven hours. You've got some crappy shoes on. It's never ironed. The shirt is too small. The shitty scarf and the terrible ass haircut. And you think that you're better than moi? Give me a break. Next, 
week is a big deal because I'm putting up and I'm shutting you up for once in your miserable, narcissistic, little punk-ass life. You don't deserve this, but I do. YouTube, guess what? Been there, did that, busted my ass to get here. Never needed a name to make it right here. And I don't need a name to beat your little ass. I am Ricky Starks. I'm gonna stand 10 toes down right now. Next week, I'm smacking the mole off your neck. I'm stomping an asshole right into you, and I'm taking that title. I'm going to take the responsibility off your plate, little boy. I implore you. Please go to the YouTube of AEW and watch that battle of words between MGF and Ricky Stark so you can see MGF come out here with the pompous pink sweater and the freaking triple B belt, the big Burberry championship that he has around his waist. And you see Ricky Stark just basically smoking MGF's boots in that ring. He's able to do something that not a lot of people is able to do to MJF, actually get the better of MJF. And let me say this to you right now. It's good to be right. Last year, at the end of the year 2021, I have little awards that I started doing. I just started doing it last year. And I gave the total package of AEW award to MJF. That was the guy that I gave that award to. Total package is basically the look, the wrestling ability, the star presence, the camera, like the camera could follow on the mic work, everything to MJF. And I put for the guy to watch out or the guy to have a great 2022 is Ricky Starks. Ricky Starks has had a great 2022 at the beginning. He got slow towards the end, towards the middle, but then start ramping up at 2022, the ending right now we're in December. Ricky Starks has had a great 2022, unlike 2021, because 2021, he injured his neck, and that took him out a good, solid, big chunk of his career. He just literally was on the sideline of 2021, so AEW had to put some power and some effort into Ricky Starks to get him to be the starter they want him to be, that they know Ricky can be. And the Rock reference that MGF gave to Ricky was not just because of a coincidence. No, that's on purpose. Because everybody sees Ricky Starks and they see a young The Rock. They see a young Dwayne Johnson. So Ricky Starks being compared to The Rock has always been the whole comparison. Whenever anybody saw him on NWA and him doing his promo there, or anybody saw him on AEW and you start seeing him wearing the flashy t-shirts and the way that he's dressed, the hair all up in the exact same way, almost like The Rock. If you put The Rock old school, like, what, 2000 with his hair all up, with the nice buzz cut next to Ricky Stark, you can see the comparison that everybody sees. Point being, Ricky Starks is the man. Ricky Starks and MGF going back and forth on the mic this week was phenomenal and it was great. Also, when Ricky Starks would say this to MGF, MGF would kick Ricky in the nuts and he would try to hit him with a dynamite diamond ring, but Ricky would duck it and then hit MJF with a spear, and it would spear the shoes right off of MJF's feet. And MJF would hold his stomach in pain as Ricky Starks would lift up the AEW Championship. And this is what you could see in your future next week at, what's the event called? God, winter is coming for AEW when Ricky starts to go against MJF for the AEW Championship. So that was just giving you a preview, and it's trying to get people's appetites wet for that match for next week for the AEW Championship. So again, MJF, Ricky Starks, I implore you, please watch that on YouTube. 
just so you can see the mannerisms and the whole presentation of both MGF and Ricky Starks in the ring. Now, after this, we get a TNT Championship matchup of the champion Samoa Joe defending his title against Darby Allin. Samoa Joe would win the match by referee stoppage thanks to Darby Allin going unconscious when Samoa Joe would catch Darby performing the coffin drop and he would transition it into the Coquina Clutch. And that would make Darby basically pass out. Referee calls for the bell. I want somebody in the AEW locker room to please, and I mean this, please look out for Darby Allen's safety. Because that kid took a lot of bumps for Samoa Joe here. I mean, he got a power slam onto concrete floor. He got swung onto the barricade. He got swung onto the ring. He got swung just everywhere. And it got to the point that I thought that uh, Darby was basically going to be unconscious at one point when Samoa Joe would basically grab Darby by the head and literally just pop his head next to the ring post. And it's a square ring post, not one of those uh, round, spherical-type ring posts. No, it's one of the squares, so one of those edges, whenever Darby's head hit it, he flinged like a freaking bangerang. Like, I mean, he just flung from the ring apron to the timeskeeper apron like area and he just fell to the ground and my man was down he was out and i ain't gonna front with you i looked scared for darby so please anybody in the AEW locker room please try to get darby allen to relax on those type of situations let him be able to take care of his body please because after the match it got worse samoa joe will walk towards darby darby would shove joe joe will give darby a headbutt and then Joe will grab Darby's skateboard and place it like wheels facing upwards. So when Samoa Joe hit Darby with the muscle buster, Darby's back hit the skateboard wheels. Again, this is another reason why I say Darby needs to be looked out for. And actually, somebody in AEW needs to be there for Darby as his legit protector and like guy to say, no, you're not doing that. You're not doing that spot. We're nixing that. Because again, that can go completely wrong. And Darby could have ended up bad in a real, real bad way. Not because of just the muscle buster, because that's a legit dangerous move. And it's all about taking it the right way. But it's all in the way that Darby Allen performs all these stunts the way that he does it. Darby just really just goes full throttle, 100% into him. And I want Darby to be okay. Not end up in a wheelchair like Dynamite Kid. Or end up with some type of bad... Uh, mental illness or disfigurement because of all the crazy crap he's doing in professional wrestling. So somebody in AEW's job legitimately 100% need to just be looking at the Darby Allen, make sure he doesn't do anything irrational in that wrestling ring whenever they put these matches together. Now, after Samoa Joe would hit Darby with the muscle buster on the skateboard, Samoa Joe would try to lock in the Coquina Clutch again on Darby, but then that's whenever you see Warlow would run out to the ring and Samoa Joe would leave the ring. So again, we're building up for Warlow with Samoa Joe to meet uh, somewhere down the line for the TNT Championship because Warlow wants revenge on Joe. So again, we're building up that momentum here. Now, after this, we get a tag team matchup of Claudio Castagnoli and Willie Uta with John Moxley in their corner going against Daniel Garcia and Jake Hager who had Sammy Guevara in their corner. Claudio and Wheeler would win the match by pinfall when Claudio would reverse out of an ankle lock by sending Jake Hager into Daniel Garcia and then when Jake turned around, he ate an uppercut from Claudio Castagnoli for the win. Now, after the match, Tony Schiavone will get in the ring with Claudio, John Moxley, and Wheeler Yuta and show him a video of himself talking to William Regal a couple weeks ago 
And in the video, William Regal would explain why he helped out MGF. He did it because now since MGF has the championship, he has a lot of people gunning for him. And it's basically the situation of be careful what you wish for. So that's the reason why he gave it the championship to MGF because he's a prick and he didn't like what he did to Tony Schiavone. So he wants everybody basically to gun down MJF. And he says that the Blackpool Combat Club doesn't need him anymore. He's been knowing this for a couple weeks now. But he knows that the three core members of the Blackpool Combat Club, he's talking about Claudio, uh, John Moxley, and Brian Danson, won't let him go anywhere. And he knows this. So he had to do something. And he had to give one final lesson to John Moxley. And John Moxley knows what he means when he says this. And this is all coming out of William's mouth. He says that John Moxley, the final lesson that he had to learn was to always stay steps ahead of your opponent and always have eyes in the back of your head. And this will be William Regal's final parting words as an on-air talent because it would be revealed by Tony Khan earlier this week that William Regal has declined the offer for AEW to pick up uh, the more years on his contract because... William Regal signed a three-year deal, but he had an optional deal that AEW could pick up his remaining years after his first year. But William Regal wanted AEW to turn it down because he wanted to go back to WWE and help out his son in NXT. So Tony Khan basically grants that to William Regal. He still has a couple more weeks left in AEW, but by the New Year's time, William Regal will be back with WWE. So... This is William Regal's final parting words to the Blackpool Combat Club on air, and we only got a couple more weeks, so William Regal basically being backstage doing what? I have no idea. Probably saying his final go farewells and goodbyes to the people in AEW, and probably giving some more advice to some of the more young talents, and then probably be handing off to WWE after this, but that's what we got here. And uh, I want to say, for the people that's mad at William Regal or mad at Tony Khan for doing that, no. I'm glad that Tony Khan did that because Tony Khan is a legit professional wrestling fan. He respects the people that he employs. He actually listens to them and he actually does right by them. If you want to leave and you actually have a legit reason for wanting to leave, he actually would like sign off and say, you know what? You can go ahead and have your time. You can go ahead and leave. Do what you got to do to make yourself happy. He's doing that. Now, people might say, Gerald, what about Andrade? Because... Andrade is still suspended for his altercation with Sammy Guevara backstage, and we haven't seen Andrade in some time. Andrade is suspended because of his own actions. And people are trying to say that Andrade got into these actions because he wants to get fired so he can go back to WWE so Triple H is running things over there. Now, that's a different situation. If you're trying to get yourself fired, no, I'm not going to do that. I'd rather suspend you and have you under my realm until you play ball and we can get it together and then you can work the rest of your contract out, or you're just going to be basically be sitting home. That's all your decision. But if you have a legitimate reason the way that William Ringle did, Tony Khan will basically let you out and he'll say, all right, cool. You can go ahead and do that. So Tony Khan is a righteous businessman, at least in my eyes. And I have nothing but respect for him for doing that for William Regal. Now, after this, we will get the trios match of Jay Cargill and her baddies, which are Layla Gray and Red Velvet going against Kiara Hogan, Sky Blue and Madison Rain. Jade would get the win for her team by pitfall by hitting Jaded on Madison Rain for the win. No more needs to be said about this, to be honest. Now, after this, we get the main event of AEW, the AEW Tag Team Championship matchup of The Acclaimed with Billy Gunn in their corner going against FTR. Now, The Acclaimed would win the match by pinfall 
but Cash would hit Max with a plethora of clotheslines, probably about three of them, and Cash would try to hit, no, he did hit a powerbomb on Max, and he tried to pin him with a jackknife pin, but Max would reverse it into his own pin, and that's the reason how he would pin Cash to win the match. Now, FTR and the Acclaim, they had a good match here. People thought the FTR were going to win against the Acclaim. I didn't think so. The Acclaim are still kind of basically new into their reign. They still haven't went through a lot of tag teams to prove their dominance of themselves as tag team champions and all that good stuff. So I didn't see them losing. What I did expect was the Gun Club to come out and basically cost the FTR so they could continue with that rivalry. But no, it was a straight solid one-on-one tag team match between FTR and the Acclaim, and the Acclaim have to be the best tag team that night. Now, speaking of the Gun Club, this would get interesting. After the match, FTR and the Acclaim would scissor in the middle of the ring because FTR isn't trying to basically hand do nothing right now because they just lost, but they still would scissor the Acclaim. And uh, the Gun Club would appear on the screen and let FTR know that their week isn't over because at final battle, they will be facing the Briscoe Brothers in a double dog collar match. So, Ring of Honor's final battle, it will be FTR going against the Briscoes. This is their third match this year in Ring of Honor for the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships. And now it will be in a double dog collar match. The first match that they had this year was around WrestleMania weekend. And it was a straight tag team match for the Ring of Honor Tag Team titles. Great match. I saw that. The second match that they had was at Death Before His Honor, two out of three falls for the ROH Tag Team titles in the main event of that pay-per-view. Great match right there. Now they're doing a dog collar match. And again, each time they face each other, they always stepped it up. So now in this dog collar match, I expect a whole lot of blood between all four of these guys, especially from the Briscoes, because they have not been on AEW television since they got signed to Tony Khan this year. I don't know what's going down with that. I hope the guy that we see the Briscoe sometime on AEW television or somewhere for the love of God. I don't know if some type of executive is trying to keep the Briscoes off television because of past situations with the Briscoes. That's been rumored and speculative. I don't know none of that. Again, I'm waiting for Tony Khan to confirm any of these situations. Tony Khan has said that, yo, there are some people in high quarters of like uh, Turner that don't want to see the Briscoes on TV because certain situations he didn't get into details, but that's the situation for them. So I hope somebody can at least give some report back to whoever they need to give report back to. So they let the Briscoes be on television because the Briscoes are literally one of the best tag teams of the two thousands. And they have been wrestling since late to like late 1990s, like 99, early 2000s area, all the way now to 2022. And it's been majority tag team wrestling, but then you had the split between Jay being a Ring of Honor world champion, him doing his main event stuff there, and Mark basically doing some other stuff. But when they always came back, it was always the Briscoe brothers, and people that were immersed themselves in wrestling knew of the Briscoe brothers. So for them to be under contract with AEW and not make their AEW Dynamite debut, not even a sniff throughout their whole 2022 it's ridiculous. Hopefully in 2023, we get the Briscoe brothers in AEW on television because it is a sin, in my personal opinion, to allow one of the greatest tag teams that have ever graced a tag team like scene or a wrestling ring in general to not be on big national television, especially when they're signed to you. It's a sin. And somebody in Turner 
or whoever is owning Turner Warner could be needs to check out and really do their homework before like saying, nah, don't have the Briscoes on TV. I'm just saying, do your homework on them and actually look into them instead of just going off of like quick decisions. But anyway, off my soapbox for the Briscoes, that is your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now it's time for Impact Wrestling. First match of the night will be for the Impact Tag Team Championships, Heath and Rhino defending their championships against the Challengers, Motor City Machine Gun. The winners would be nobody because this match will go into a no contest when the major players will run into the ring and hit a wake-up call on both Chris Saban and Heath. And this is looks like it might get turned into a triple threat match. It's never announced, but I can see where we're building into this thing. I thought it would happen at Overdrive, but it didn't. But I think they're going to do it now somewhere down the line. After this, we have Taya Valkyrie with Rosemary and Havoc in her corner, going against Savannah Evans, who had Tasha Steeles in her corner. Savannah would win the match by pinfall by hitting a full Nelson slam on Taya Valkyrie for the win. After this, we will have Khan with Angels and Diener. Their new group is now called The Design instead of Violence by Design. And Diener is the leader of this group now. And they will be out here and Khan will go against Sammy Callahan. Khan would get the win by pinfall thanks to Design for interfering when Sammy was on the outside of the ring. And he's faced with both Diener and Angels. Sammy would get a chair. Khan will grab Sammy and pull him into the ring on the ring apron. Angels will grab the chair away from Sammy and it looks like he's about to hit him with it. The ref would then look at Angels and chastise him. And as the referee was busy dealing with this, Sammy would get on the top turnbuckle. Diener would grab Sammy's by the leg and Sammy would drop on the turnbuckle. Then you see Khan grab Sammy, hit the Death Valley driver for the win. And that's the end of that. So Sammy Callahan is now dealing with Diener and his group now because Eric Young is now no longer with Impact. Again, it's been reported that he's going back to WWE and they basically killed him off last week so he can go to WWE. That's cool. That's fine with me because, again, as I said before, Impact Wrestling should be a feeding ground. It should be a place where anybody, whether you're in AEW or you're a former WWE personnel or whoever the case may be, or even an independent guy. I believe that Impact Wrestling should be a place that everybody should wants to go to so you can hone your craft and you can wrestle a style that you want to wrestle when nobody trying to hold you or pin you down so much. So whenever a AEW or WWE wants you, they can just look at your work in Impact and then basically want to sign you up or even a New Japan, if you will. They have a whole lot of their uh, overseas talent or their uh, God, what do they call them? God, when they, excursions. They, whenever they, people have to do excursions, they go over to Impact and they do their excursions there. That's basically their little, uh, God, what do they call that in school? Foreign, their tr- transfer, exchange student program. There it is. That's basically what an excursion is. Their exchange student situation. So New Japan will have some of their people come over to Impact. And again, they're holding their craft. They come up and do whatever they got to do. Then they go back to New Japan as a new character. They come back with new stuff, new arsenals and their tool belts. So Impact is basically a place that's basically a feeder system to me. You go there, you hone yourself, you come up with a character, you work on your in-ring stuff and all this type of wealth that you build upon yourself. And then whenever AEW or WWE, New Japan or any other big company wants to come sign you, they can go to the Impact and pick from the people that's there. And just grab people up. So Impact has been doing real well this past year. So 
with Eric going back to WWE, I just hope that a lot of other companies start looking at Impact and be like, hmm, we should want to team up with them. Again, you don't have to say it, like, officially, but just hand them a little bit of money here and there. Just a little bit to keep Impact just constantly going. I'm not saying that's happening. I'm not saying that the companies will do it, but I think they should, especially with the amount of talent that constantly gets rated from Impact constantly year by year. I think that needs to happen. At least Impact needs to get some type of residuals from that. Now, off to Josh Alexander coming down to the ring. Josh will be in his ring gear, and he would say that he talked to Impact Management, and he says that they gave him their blessing to come out here and handle his business. Josh will issue an Impact World Championship Open Challenge, and Josh will say that the only man that he wants to answer this challenge is Bully Ray. Josh will let Bully know that he can still have his match at Hard to Kill for the World Championship if he loses tonight against Josh. Bully would appear on the screen and try to get under the skin of Josh by showing him photos of him terrorizing both Josh and his wife at Overdrive. Bully would tell Josh that he is a man of his word and that he will face Josh Alexander at Hard to Kill in no time soon. So, when Bully declines the offer, Mike Bailey will come down to the ring and say that he will take the challenge if Josh is interested and Josh would accept. So, for the main event of Impact Wrestling, we would get Josh Alexander going against Mike Bailey for the Impact World Championship. Josh Alexander would win the match by pinfall by hitting two C4 spikes on Mike Bailey for the win. Now, when I say these two guys put on a banger, I mean Josh Alexander and Mike Bailey put on a banger, ladies and gentlemen. These two men wrestle for almost a whole entire hour. Literally, the World Championship is matched for an impact. Is usually, they have an hour time limit. And they literally wrestled down to the last 20 seconds, and that's when Joshua had the two C4 spikes on Mike Bailey and beat him. So they wrestled literally for 59 minutes and 40 seconds. These two guys put on a banger of a match. I'm telling you, stop sleeping on Impact Wrestling, ladies and gentlemen. Whether it comes down to their knockouts division, their tag team division, their heavyweight stuff, even the X division stuff, don't sleep on Impact. Please, go out of your way. If you have any type of uh, satellite, not satellite, uh, cable company, go and try to find where you see Impact Wrestling and Look for today, the, this week's episode with Josh versus uh, Mike Bailey for the Impact World Championship. I guarantee you, you will not be disappointed in that match. And if you can't, try to look for uh, that match on their YouTube page. Not today, but probably tomorrow on Sunday. They get fugate. They get they're real tricky on that. Sometimes it'll be on a Saturday to have the match up or Sunday. One or the twos, but I really do mean it. Go and check that match out. You will not regret it. Impact be putting on fire and banger matches that really be swept under the rug by everybody. And Impact has my uh, undying affection for them. Because again, they're the little independent. Well, they were this show. They were the promotion that could have been the second big promotion in the North American market, but it happened to drift down because of management years ago, but they're still kicking, they're still going, and then the little engine that could of a wrestling promotion. So again, don't sleep on Impact Wrestling. Please watch the show. Please watch that match, Josh Alexander going against Mike Bailey. But with that, that is your wrestling highlights of the week for Impact Wrestling.
now we're off to SmackDown. Something to note on SmackDown that they did announce that John Cena will be appearing on a final episode of SmackDown of 2022, which is December 30th. And I have a plan for what they should do with John Cena on December 30th, but I will get to that whenever I talk about it. Uh, the first thing that would happen on SmackDown is the Undisputed Tag Team Championship match of Butch and Sheamus with Ridge Holland in their corner going against the Usos, who has Sami Zayn and Solskjaer in their corner. It was supposed to be Sheamus and Drew going against the Usos, but that would be changed when Drew McIntyre tweeted out Monday that he would be medically unavailable or medically unclear not to compete on SmackDown, so that's the reason why we have Butch in his replacement. The Usos would win the match and retain their championships by pinfall thanks to Sami Zayn and Sozokoa. When Butch would get Jay on the ropes, Jimmy would tag himself in without Butch knowledge, and Butch would hit, well, he would try to look to hit the bitter end on Jay Uso, but Jay would counter it, and then you would see the Usos hit the 1D for the win. Now, Sheamus would try to break up the pin, but Sammy would hold his leg so he couldn't interfere, while Solo Sokoa hit a spinning solo on Rich Holland towards the Timeskeeper area, so that took Rich Holland out of the way. So that's the reason why I say thanks to Sammy and Solo Sokoa. So the Usos are still your tag team champions in WWE. Now, it was announced that Roman Reigns will be on SmackDown next week. So, later in the night, we would see the Bloodline in their locker room, and as they're about to leave, Jay will stop Sammy as Solo and Jimmy would leave the room. And Jay tells Sammy that he needs to, probably wants to trim his beard up, trim his hair up, because Roman's going to be around next week, and Jay has a feeling that next week is going to be a big night for Sammy. So, Sammy's thinking that he might be honored as an honorary not just no longer honorary us but actually be an uso a part of their tribe now that's what i think sammy's thinking i am hoping that they actually go through with that instead of pulling a good fellas if you know a good fellas you know what i'm talking about with joe uh joe pesci character was thought he was going to be a made man but he ends up getting popped in the back of the head so I'm hoping that's not what's going to happen next week with Sammy probably getting turned on by the bloodline. I'm hoping that's not what's going to happen. I, don't, I hope he gets labeled as a legit Uso member, but only time will tell uh, next week. After this, we will have LA Knight coming out to the ring. Knight is out here to talk about being jumped for the past weeks, claiming that it's Bray Wyatt. Uh, Knight knows that he has struck fear into Bray, at least that's what he says. Knight would show him being attacked for the past weeks, and he would show that it's Bray because Bray's mask has been in the background those weeks that he's been attacked. So when Knight is done showing the video, a cryptic video would show in play, and the cryptic video would tell Knight to do it. Do it. Do punishment. Don't you want respect? Go ahead and do the punishment. So... This means to me that this cryptic message is telling Ellie Knight to try to find Bray Wyatt to get some revenge. So, Knight would say, you know what? If Bray doesn't want to come out here and play, I'll go back there and find him. So, Knight would go backstage to try to look for Bray. Now, we would see him go backstage later in the night, try to find Bray. He would go into a room, and he would see a Bray Wyatt t-shirt. He'll grab the shirt, and then the lights will go out. Ellie Knight will pull his phone out of his pocket, flash the light on it, then start scanning the room, and then he sees a figure in a Bray Wyatt mask, and he thinks that it's Bray, and that's the last that we know. So, that's my thing. We're still continuing with Ellie Knight and Bray Wyatt's situation. Bray has not been in the ring since he's returned back in late October, and we're now entering December, 
and December is rolling by pretty quickly. And here's my idea. December 30th, the final episode of SmackDown, we get Bray Wyatt, LA Knight. Have a match. Have LA Knight talk to John Cena before that match even begins or even happens. Have a segment with him backstage because everybody wants to see LA Knight and John Cena anyway. That's on some people's bucket list. It's on mine, I know for a fact. And it's also part of my bucket list to see John Cena continue his little thing with Bray Wyatt, or at least mention it, because the Firefly Funhouse was literally one of the highlights of the whole pandemic era, especially the beginning part, and it still is recognizable to this day with wrestling fans. So, with Bray Wyatt having his match with LA Knight, probably on December 30th, which they should do it, again, it's still my idea here, you get Knight talking to John Cena, John tells Knight that he needs to be careful, I know what Bray is all about, this guy, I don't know what he's, this new caricature of Bray, I have no idea what he's up to, but I'm telling you, you probably need to be careful, because all the other versions of him I faced, and they were not good, uh, they weren't good, something along those lines, Knight gonna tell John to shut up, worry about himself, be the same egotistical LA Knight, and then you can see Bray just walk behind John and just look at John and John will look at Bray and then that's the only thing you have to say because they acknowledge their past. Or if we don't do an LA Knight and John Cena situation, we're going to have a legit Bray Wyatt and John Cena situation where Bray Wyatt walks up to John and apologizes for all his past uh, actions that he did to John and John can just be skeptical about it. I want to see the continuation of the story between John Cena and Bray in some form or fashion. I don't want it to just, just to be disappeared. With Bray being back now, I want something with John and Bray. That's just me as a fan. Anyway, after this, we get a tag team match of Cruz del Toro and Joaquin Wilde representing Legado del Fantasma with Santos Escobar and Zelina Vega in their corner, going against the Viking Raiders who had Valhalla in their corner. This match would end in a no contest when Hit Row would come out to the ring and beat up everybody. And it was announced that next week, it will be a triple threat tag match of Hit Row going against the Viking Raiders, going against Legado del Fantasma. So they're continuing to build off that little mini story that they have between all three of these teams. And I'm cool with it because, again, it gives each team something to do as, again, we're going into the new year and they get to get some momentum. Now, after this, we get the contract signing between Ricochet and Gunther for their kind of championship matchup next week. Gunther has his Imperium buddies with him, and Ricochet's out here by himself until the New Day will come out. And they say they're out here to back up their boy Ricochet because contract signings always break out in chaos. And Adam Pierce will say, hold up, you really think that's going to happen? Xavier Woods will hit the brilliant line of saying, yes, have you watched professional wrestling? So that was their little tongue-in-cheek to the fans to let everybody know, yeah, we know what you guys are thinking. So... In the end, it ends up being broken out into a brawl after Ricochet and Gunther signed their contracts. Both teams will start getting into a brawl with each other and it turns into a six-man tag match of New Day and Ricochet going against Imperium. Ricochet will get the win for his team by pinfall when Kofi will hit Ludwig Kaiser with Trouble in Paradise, then tag Ricochet in, and Ricochet will hit the shooting star press for the win for his team. So this gives Ricochet momentum going to his Intercontinental Championship match next week. After this, we would go to the trainer's room where Rey Mysterio is trying to get his leg right. And in walks in Karrion Cross and Scarlet. 
They will walk up on Ray. Ray will look hesitant because he knows Carrion's coming after him, but Carrion would have to reassure Ray that he isn't here to hurt him. Carrion would then go on to tell Ray a story about Scarlet's family's horse. And the gist of the story was that their horse was a prize-winning horse, but then whenever the horse couldn't go like it used to, they turned that horse into a workhorse until it just couldn't go anymore, and then they had to put the horse down. Carrion is letting Ray know that he's going to be the one to put Ray down. So that's the feud that we're building into Ray Mysterio and Karrion Cross. Now after this, we get a tag team matchup of Liv Morgan and Tegan Knox going against Shayna Baszler and Ronda Rousey. Liv and Tegan will get the win by pinfall thanks to Raquel Rodriguez. When Raquel Rodriguez will come down to the ring and officials will try to make sure she doesn't get involved, Ronda would come down and try to make sure that the officials get Raquel out of here. And as this was happening, the ref was paying attention to the stuff on the outside as Shayna Baszler has Liv in a coquina clutch, but Liv would hit Shayna with a jawbreaker, making her release the submission. Tegan Us will come in, hit a shining wizard on Shayna Baszler. This will allow Liv to cover Shayna for the win. Now, after the match, it was announced that next week on SmackDown, we would get a women's tag team championship matchup of Damage Control defending the tag team titles against Liv Morgan and Tegan Knox. Now, after this, we get to the main event segment. Kurt Angle coming out to the middle of the ring for a birthday celebration since it was his birthday. There's a cake in the middle of the ring, table, balloons, the whole nine yards. You get the drift. Kurt Angle will get interrupted by Alpha Academy. Chad Gable is throwing a fit because he was not invited to Kurt's party backstage, so that's the reason why he's out here to upstage Kurt Angle. Chad would tell Kurt that he needs to leave their ring because if he doesn't, he might end up with another broken neck, so he does leave their ring. So now you have Chad and Otis in the middle of the ring start eating some of Kurt's cake, and Kurt would tell both Chad and Otis that if you're going to eat that much cake, you're going to need a lot of milk. Cue in the milk truck coming down to the ring with Gable Steveson hanging off the side of the milk truck. Kurt and Gable Steveson will start throwing milk bottles into the ring, and then Kurt will get a hose and spray down both Gable and Otis with milk. So this was basically a throwback segment to 2001 when Kurt Angle did this to Stone Cold Steve Austin and the Alliance. Yeah, on Monday Night Raw in 2001. So this was basically nothing but a callback. It was cheesy and silly, but that's Kurt Angle's whole deal. Whenever he wasn't an intense wrestler in the ring, he was always a silly character. That's what Kurt Angle's whole situation was. So it fits all in Kurt Angle's spectrum here. So that's what SmackDown gave you for their main event thing to leave you. So that was your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now off to AEW Rampage. First match of the night will be John Moxley going against Kanosuke Takeshita. John Moxley would beat Takeshita by submission when Moxley will lock in the bulldog choke on Takeshita after forearming him multiple times behind the neck. So when Moxley locked in the bulldog choke, Takeshita would try to fight out of it as much as he can, but he only held on for so long until the referee saw Takeshita start passing out, and that's whenever the referee called for the bell. Now, after this, you will see Heyman Page walk down to the ring. He has a mic in his hand. He gets in the ring with Moxley face-to-face, and he says, since the doctor won't clear him tonight, he has an excuse for what he's about to do. So Heyman will punch Moxley, and now we have a brawl on our hands between both of the men. You will see Willie Yuta and Claudio Castagnoli running down to the ring, trying to break it up. And they would see Claudio inadvertently like shove Heyman Page like into the ring post, and Heyman will hit the ring post, and now he's holding his head. 
So they were able to break it up, but there might be some side effects with Hangman hitting the steel ring post here. So that's the thing that we're getting into this right now. Because remember, Hangman, he was on the shelf because he got a concussion from a clothesline in his match with Moxley, and he might be coming down with uh, some syndromes with head problems if that's the story they want to tell with Hangman Page and not being medically cleared yet. So that's what happened in this situation. After this, we have a championship matchup of Regina de Wave championship of Hikaru Shida going against the Bunny. Hikaru Shida would beat the Bunny by pinfall when Shida would hit the Katana, which is a tornado kick, on the Bunny for the win to retain her championship. Now, after the match, the AEW Women's Champion, Jamie Hayter, would appear and stand on the stage and just stare down Sheeta because they will be facing each other on AEW Dynamite for the AEW Women's Championship. After this, we had Lee Moriarty and Big Bill Morrissey going against two local competitors. Morrissey would get the win for his team by pinfall when he would chokeslam one of the guys. This was basically a squash match here. Now, it's time for the main event. The All Atlantic Championship match of Orange Cassidy going against a mystery opponent who ends up to be Trent Seven. Trent Seven is here because he is Kip Saban's replacement because Kip cannot wrestle Orange Cassidy because he's quote unquote hurt, but he really isn't. So that's the reason why Trent Seven is here. Orange Cassidy would defeat Trent Seven by hitting him with an orange punch, then the beach break for the win. Now, after the match, you will see Kip Sabian and get in the ring and start attacking Orange Cassidy. He would try to convince Trent Seven to join him, and Trent does eventually join in on Kip Sabian, beating up on Orange Cassidy, so it was a two-on-one beatdown until Dustin Rhodes would come down, and he would make the save for Orange Cassidy. He would beat up on both Trent Seven and Kip Sabian, and in the end, Dustin Rhodes and Orange Cassidy would stand tall. And that is your AEW Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, before I get you guys out of here, I just want to make this thing quick. This is my NXT deadline predictions. Isla Dawn going against Alba Fire. I would say go with Isla Dawn because Isla Dawn needs the spotlight on her. Alba Fire has been in NXT since the beginning of this year, technically in 2022, probably even going into late last year, 2021. And she's had her time on NXT television. I think it's time for Isla Dawn to get some spotlight on her since she just transferred over from the UK division over to the mainlands of the NXT of America, basically the third promotion in WWE. So I think that Isla Dawn needs to get that spotlight on her. And I think Albafire will have no problem losing to Isla Dawn. NXT Tag Team Championship matchup, Pretty Deadly going against the New Day. I think Pretty Deadly is going to win this. I don't think they're going to give the belts to New Day. I wouldn't be opposed to it. But I think New Day are in a role that they're going to be building up tag teams for the future. And that's just their role. And whenever it's time for them to put a tag team titles on them, on the New Day, you're going to do it. And it's still just to build up other tag teams. But I don't think they're going to let the New Day beat somebody like uh, Pretty Deadly just for it to be on their resume to say, okay, they're NXT tag champions. They're now triple crown champions. Again, I'm not opposed to it. I'm never opposed to New Day having gold around their waist. But... I just see exactly where they're positioned right now in WWE. They're here just to build up teams. So I think they're going to do that with Pretty Deadly here. So I'm going with Pretty Deadly. NXT Championship matchup, Braun Breaker going against Apollo Crews. I'm going Braun Breaker. I don't think they're going to put the belt on Apollo Crews because, again, I think they're going to have Braun Breaker still be on NXT until the night after Mania. And then that's whenever Braun's going to make his impact. And I think they're trying to build up 
the night after Mania to be something big like it once was. So again, I think that's the whole big plan for Braun Breaker. So Braun Breaker is still going to retain his NXT championship here against Apollo Crews. After this, Women's Iron Survivor Challenge to determine the number one contender for the NXT Women's Championship. Zoe Starks, Cora Jade, Roxanne Perez, Kiana James, and Indy Hartwell. You know what? Mandy's a champion. She needs a good guy or a good person to basically go against. And the only good person in here are Indy and Roxanne. I say we're probably going to go with Indy here. So she needs to do something because Zoe, she still has Nikita. Uh, Cora Jade, she always has Roxanne to fall back on. And Kiana James, she has something with Fallon at the moment. So Indy's the only oddball out of here that has nobody to basically feed with out of this. So I think we're going to give this off to Indy Hartwell, to be honest. Now, the men for the main event of the Iron Survivor Challenge. Carmelo Hayes, J.D. McDonough, Grayson Waller, Joe Gacy, or Axiom. You know, I would love for it to go to Carmelo Hayes, but I think we're still saving for Carmelo to go against Braun Breaker at the NXT TakeOver of WrestleMania weekend. I think that we're building up for Carmelo and Braun to have that, and that'll be the crowning achievement for Melo. But I could be wrong. If they're going on to that pathway, I see Grayson Waller winning this. I see Grayson Waller winning this because, as Carmelo mentioned on NXT, uh, Joe Gacy and JD already had their chance. They both blew it. I don't see them going to give that uh, ball to Axiom to go against Braun Breaker because we all know what the end results of that's going to be. Carmelo will be a nice choice, but I think they're saving it for the WrestleMania weekend spot. Grayson Waller, he seems perfect for this, to be honest. He seems like the perfect bad guy for Braun Breaker to go against on his way to Melo for that situation if they want to have Melo for the WrestleMania weekend. If not, I'll say go with Melo for this, but I think they're going to be smart, and I think they're saving Melo for Mania. So that was a long-winded way to say I think they're going to go with Grayson Waller, but I could be completely wrong. And if they don't go with Grayson Waller, I hope they go with Melo, but I think they're going to go with Grayson and have Melo still for Mania whole purposes. But now, with that being your deadline predictions, you'll hear about me giving my review of deadline tomorrow on my Sunday episode, as well as my traditional Sunday episodes I always put out every Sunday. But with that, I hope you guys have a great Saturday. I hope you guys are able to enjoy yourselves. Please don't be a dick. Please be courteous to everybody out there that's on these roads. It's just not you. Everybody else still has places to go and people to see, so please be courteous of them as well. I love you all. This has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by my Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. He is I and I'm him. I love you. Please have a great Saturday. And with that, Kanye, can you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh Jesus wept.